Will you please look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's on page 991 in the Pew Bibles. It's also printed in the bulletin. In this book of Timothy, this letter, the Apostle Paul's writing to his protege, who is at Ephesus. Um, and if you've been here the last few months, or the last couple of months, you know that Mark has been preaching through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So those are the believers to which Timothy's ministering. And Paul begins his letter by charging Timothy to fight against false teaching so that the gospel is free to take root. In our passage this morning, he's pointing to prayer as a priority in the spread of the gospel. If you're like me, you tend to relegate prayer to a place of little importance. Maybe you feel like it doesn't do much. Prayer isn't effective. And even when we do pray, sometimes our prayers are small and they're self-serving. We're going to see this morning that we should pray often and with all-encompassing prayers that reflect God's love for all people. So Paul is going to stress prayer. Um, He's going to start with the phrase, first of all, first out of everything. Please read with me in chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you at this time. I pray that your spirit would be in the preaching of your word, that we would learn and and grow. I pray that Christ would be lifted up in our time. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Who knows what the He-Man Woman Haters Club is? People know what that is? So that was the Little Rascals version of a No Girls Allowed Club. Anybody here ever have some kind of club in your neighborhood with the kids in your neighborhood where you excluded other kids? Anybody? I, I did. It wasn't, it did. It wasn't prolonged or anything, but while you were growing up, um, I have four sisters. Uh, I have twin sisters that are right behind me in age, Chelsea and Jill. And my best friend lived next door, Bill, and he had a sister that the twins would play with. And we would alternate between including them in our plans in the neighborhood and just excluding them for fun. We were jerks. Um, One particular time, I felt like the outsider because Bill's cousin came over and we had a super soaker fight. And I wasn't cool enough to have a super soaker. I just didn't have, you know, 30 bucks to drop on a super soaker. So we had this fight. And they kind of ganged up on me, so I thought I was going to be smart. I was going to get my plastic bag, my trash bag, and put it over me. I looked like a geek, but I went outside, and I kind of holed up in my plastic bag. And I didn't think it through too well. They just put the super soaker in the armhole and just drenched me. (laughs) So anyway, kids are like that sometimes. They exclude each other on a whim. But if you're honest, you get older you recognize those petty exclusions really don't go away. They just masquerade as more sophisticated reasons for excluding people. 
and we justify our cold disregard toward others. Our tendency is to be exclusive, to only care about certain people and their spiritual needs, only the people we find interesting. God's not like us, though. Our God's an all-people God, while we are a some-people people. This morning, we're going to see that because God desires all people to be saved, we are to pray for all people and desire their salvation. Paul is writing to Timothy so Timothy can pass his instruction to the believers he's ministering to at Ephesus. So those words have been passed down that we might benefit from them. So we're going to look at prayer's priority, God's preeminence, and then we'll briefly touch on our purpose. First, prayer's priority. We are to pray for all people. Paul urges that all kinds of prayers be made for all people. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. This isn't some exhaustive list of prayer categories. This is Paul saying, pray in all kinds of ways for all kinds of people. It's really easy when you're interpreting scripture to get caught up in that, the literal meaning of that word all. What, is that, what does that really mean? Is Paul saying we literally need to pray for all people individually? You know, do we get online and we try to find everyone's name in the world to pray for them? It's really not the point. It's also, that'd be impossibly time-consuming and obsessive-compulsive. It's really not the point. All people means all people without exclusion and without differentiation. It's calling us to be inclusive. Mark preached from Ephesians 2 a few weeks ago about how the Jewish elitists at Ephesus, the circumcision, were looking down on the Gentile believers, what they called the uncircumcision. And Paul said this kind of arrogance is unfounded in light of the fact that Christ has given himself to make believers into one body, all believers. I was saying to Mark, in Christ there's no Jew or Gentile is easy and kind of abstract for some of us. What's harder is when you're on the skiing mountain and to say in Christ there's no skier or snowboarder. That's tough. That's tough because there's a lot of animosity between those two groups. But anyway, it's, it's our very nature to take the grace we've been shown for granted. We take for granted that we've been included in the promises of God through Christ. So then we turn around and we begin excluding others because we're comfortable with people like ourselves. It's not necessarily an active prejudice. It's that blindness toward those around us, the complacency we have toward the spiritual needs of those we find uninteresting. We're some people people, but God's an all-people God. After urging prayer for all people, Paul specifies, he goes on in verse 2, that prayer should be made for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, I want you to make a historical note to yourself about when Paul's writing. He's writing at a time when Nero is the emperor in Rome. Nero, who persecuted Christians and had them killed. So pray for a leader who you see as your enemy? Yes. Does that even enter our minds? To pray for leaders we don't agree with, or leaders we perceive to be enemies of our faith, or our, our tightly held ideals? Christ says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we need to pray for our local leaders and our state leaders and national leaders and leaders in other countries 
so that the body of Christ is allowed to grow without hindrance. You know, we have, a, we have good favor in the community here at Grace. We do things like Second Saturdays, and, and people have, I think, a good opinion for the most part of our church. And we need to pray that that continues because it's true that the gospel can spread under persecution, but it's really good when we're allowed to freely proclaim our faith. Prayer is a priority because it pleases God. Let's read in verses 3 and 4 here. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Praying for all people pleases God because God is a God who wants all people to be saved. Now, I want to make a note here because the passage does raise a question. It doesn't mean that all people will be saved. Scripture clearly teaches that despite God's love for all, many will ultimately reject the gospel message and spend eternity under God's wrath for their sin. And I won't spend too much time here, but the passage raises the question, if God wants all people to be saved, but not all people will be saved, does that mean that God's purposes are thwarted? The answer from the Bible is no. Uh, God's wisdom is unsearchable to us. His ways can sometimes confound us. And we have to live with true statements that seem to our minds to be at odds with each other. But scripture teaches that God is sovereign in saving people and that the full number of the people he's chosen will come to him. Yet he's in control of all the circumstances, including people's rejection of the gospel. And yet those that reject Christ will bear the full responsibility for their decision. And people debate endlessly about these issues. This has been... Um, These have been issues that people debate about throughout the ages. How can God command one thing and govern that another thing come to pass? But I find that so many arguments and struggles will end when we look at the crucifixion of Christ himself. For instance, God clearly opposes murder. And he opposed people's lying in court about Jesus, bearing false witness about Christ. And he clearly opposed the torture of an innocent man. But scripture tells us it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So we have those paradoxes in scripture and we accept that somehow both are true and we just don't understand yet. So we believe scripture when it tells us that God loves all people and desires that they come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's read on in verse 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We pray for the salvation of people, of all people, because God is preeminent. In these verses we have the reason for what Paul said so far. Pray for all people and for kings so that the gospel may spread because God wants all people to know the truth. Why? Because there's one God for all people. We pray because we want people to come to know this one God. As Christians, we don't wish people well in whatever their choice of religion. We don't say, you know, good luck with that Hinduism or, you know, I wish you well in that Zoroastrianism. It's, we want people to come to know the one true God and experience the grace and forgiveness that comes through Christ alone and through Him only. We pray for that because this gospel message is the truth, not just one of many truths out there. There's one God for all people. 
And to continue that thought, Paul goes into how God has given us a unique Savior. Verse 5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Think with me about the meaning bound up in the phrase, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus was a man, an actual human being, born and living and dying and resurrecting in history. And without getting into a lecture on the Trinity and how one God exists in three persons, we can also affirm here that Jesus is also God. Christ means the anointed one of God that God promised from ages past. He's God's heir. And his name, Jesus, means God saves. Jesus is the one mediator who's able to mediate between God and man because he's a representative of both parties. He's God and he's man. Now, we didn't sing a certain verse of Arise, My Soul, Arise. We normally do. I took it out, but I put it on the front of your bulletin. It says, He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, His precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for every race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. The hymn writer gets it. Jesus gave Himself. His blood atoned for every race. Christ is the one and only ransom for all kinds of people everywhere. And as a mediator, Jesus prays before God for us. And the basis for his pleading our case to the Father is the fact that he did give himself as a ransom. This hymn, Arise My Soul, Arise, I could practically preach this part for me. We did sing the next verse, Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. The only hope for the people around you is if Christ takes up their case before the Father as well. You know, this idea that one belief can be judged to be right and others can be judged wrong, it's very, it's, it's coming to be known as hate speech in our society. But there's nothing hateful about desiring what God desires, that people would be saved from judgment and wrath for all eternity. Granted, people throughout the ages, some have twisted the message and shared it in really militant, hateful ways. But if our lives have really been transformed by the gospel the way they should be, then we're going to share it lovingly and patiently and reasonably and all-inclusively. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus is the only truth that will save people? And do we even desire that as God desires it? Is your heart big enough to encompass the world in this way? Ask yourself that, and then ask yourself, is it big enough to encompass the people you already know and maybe don't get along with? The gospel message is exclusive enough without our adding petty hindrances to it. Paul continues in verse 7. We're going to look at our purpose briefly here. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Spreading the gospel is why Paul was appointed an apostle. We're not apostles, but we share in this mission the way Timothy did and the way those Ephesian believers did. We labor for the spread of the gospel. And this isn't a command to obey. None of these things, praying and spreading the gospel, they're not commands to obey in order to gain God's favor. They're outgrowths of experiencing that grace and then 
gaining God's desire for ourselves. Uh, Kim read from Revelation 5 about the golden bowls of incense in God's presence, which are the prayers of the saints. Somehow God's ordained to use the prayers of his people as a means to spreading the gospel. We acknowledge our dependence of God, on God in prayer and the need for him to work in changing hearts to believe the gospel. Then he responds to our prayers in ways where he gets the glory. Because we know it only could happen through him. Prayer isn't, it's not empty ritual. Do you believe that? I'd encourage you to come pray tomorrow during our monthly prayer night. Or you can join the small gathering. Maybe you don't know, there's a group, a small group that meets every Sunday morning to pray for this service and for our church an hour before the service starts up in the balcony. And I'm sure they'd love for you to join. But again, this is about getting our desires in line with our Savior's desires. Will you commit to being a praying person? Can you at least pray that we would be a praying church? Will you pray for our church's continued favor in the community so the gospel can spread here on the East End? And will you allow God's desire to become your desire and mission? As you consider the place of prayer in your life, I encourage you to look at Christ. Someone pointed some good stuff out to me yesterday. Look at Christ during his earthly life. He often withdrew to desolate places to pray. He sought his Father and he fulfilled his ministry while depending on the Spirit through prayer. He prayed even during his death for the people crucifying him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Our Savior truly has love for all people. Again, in Revelation 5, the elders and the creatures proclaim to Christ. They say, by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And may our desires and prayers be brought into alignment with God's desires that all would come to know him. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would tune our hearts to the needs of those around us, that we would desire salvation for all people as you do. Pray that your love would be our love for those we come in contact with. And bless the rest of this hour. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.